Hello. Ah, it's working. Um, I was asked to speak on praying in Jesus' name, and I was kindly given these three verses to, to work on. And you look at these three verses and you think, oh, well, that's happy. You just ask for whatever you want and you get it. But that's not really how it works. <laughs> so that's why I thought it's important um, really to recognize that these verses are they're not about getting whatever you desire or you think you deserve. And the name of Jesus is not a magic formula. And when you start manipulating things in the spiritual, that very quickly, though you may not realize it, slips into witchcraft. That's what it is. And it doesn't matter if you're doing it in a cathedral or whatever, it's still witchcraft. But the reality is that we do not manipulate the spiritual for our benefit. And the other key issue, and maybe I have the, the fortune to have come from a world where people have big black Bibles, but um, <clears throat> interpreting Scripture, the context of what you read it is key. You can't just string a load of verses together like a string of beads that make you happy and you go through them. That's not, that's not what it is about. So, I'm not going to apologize for the fact that I'm going to read through the passages that this comes from, because unless you see the context, then the rest is, yeah, very easy to distort. So, first of all, we're starting with John chapter 14, but I'm going back a little bit earlier to verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the work I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father." And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So the bit that's highlighted at the end is the verse that Monica gave me to speak on. So the context of this is delegated spiritual authority. When you do something in the name of a person or an organization, you're operating within their mandate. You're representing their interests and not your own. So, if an adult son is representing his father in a business deal, he has the authority to do the deal. He even has authority to delegate some of that responsibility to his lawyer or an agent or someone else to get it done. We speak of the concept of power of attorney. I remember when I'd a company here, and we used to do deals. All the time you'd be signing these power of attorney letters that the lawyers would write up so that your salesperson, whoever it is, could actually negotiate the deal legally on your behalf. It's delegated authority. Um, and I really like the fact that just before I spoke, 
Pato was speaking from Matthew 28. And it's one of the things that makes it really good when you're a speaker and the person leading the worship and the person getting up to do, to share what God has said to them, says the same thing as you've been saying. And he was speaking from the very, very end of Matthew's gospel. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So thank you very much, Pato, Stroke Patrick, for sharing that. But it's about authority. It's about authority structures. And if we don't get that, then there's a lot of stuff we're going to miss, and we're going to get ourselves in a lot of problems. Or take another example, a soldier is given orders, or an ambassador is given his letters and sent to represent his nation, operating under the cover of that country and its leadership, with their authority, but with responsibility to do what is instructed, in the case of a father and son by the father, or a country by the elected leadership of that country, the government of that country. If you go off to Somalia as a soldier for Uganda, you're representing Uganda, and you're representing the president, you're not just doing your own thing, I hope. And um, that, that's, the, that's the issue we have to understand. We, as a body of believers, we as Kampala International Church Laboa, a little bit of that bigger body, we have been given authority. But it's not authority to use just as we wish. And we have to understand that within the spiritual realm, authority structures are key. The demons know what they can get away with. Um, if we look at the example that I've given from, from Acts chapter 19, and we're going to read from verse 11, this is called the sons of Sceva. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, by, by, the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jew and Greek, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So, in that case, and it's interesting, after that, a whole lot of people in the church, it says, um, believers came and confessed their witchcraft practices and burned an awful lot of books. So, this is about when there's a confrontation, and inevitably in the spiritual life there will be spiritual confrontations, you're dealing with entities who know what authority you have, whether you know it or not, and what authority you don't have. And it doesn't matter if you're seven sons of the high priest, you still don't have that authority. That authority is delegated by Jesus to the disciples, to the church, to use for the purposes for which it is delegated. And I think this is very key, authoritative prayer in the name of Jesus. 
is founded on a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ and on scriptural truth. I'll take that in two things. If you are not a committed Christian, if you haven't committed your life to Jesus, you do not have authority to deal with those things in your life or anyone else's. And if you hadn't ma haven't made that decision, now is a very time, good time to do it, and this is a very good place to do it. And please come and talk to one of the leaders or someone you trust afterwards and choose to make that decision. Otherwise, you are... You know, the early church, one of the words that's translated um, as a non-believer, its real meaning is like a civilian caught in a battlefield. You're just caught in the crossfire. If you haven't committed yourself, if you're not part of an army, you're just someone else getting shot to pieces. You don't have an authority structure. You don't have protection. Aside from everything else, you, all the other benefits of salvation, in this context, you're just, you're, just, you're just out there as cannon fodder. And the world and the devil will destroy you if you end up in the crossfire. The next thing that I would say from this is that we must focus on pr our prayers on what brings glory to God. The disciples went to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Not what to pray, not to repeat a little mantra, but how to pray. And it starts with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we are praying that's how we should be praying, in the context of kingdom and in the context of hallowing, honoring the name of God. It is about lifting up His name. It's not about your own name. It's not about being on an ego trip. And it's about His kingdom. It's not about establishing your kingdom. Basically, it's not about us. Which in some ways is a great relief because it's a big responsibility if you think you're running the whole of your little world all on your own. Now we're going to move on to the second verse. And this is a long section I'm going to read because if you don't read the section, you don't know the context. And the actual important bit of the context is at the beginning of the section and my wife kept telling me to edit bits out, and I couldn't find which bit to edit out, so I'm just going to read all of it. So, from chapter, from chapter 15, from verse 1, this is Jesus moving on from legal structures to organic relationship. I can see Alistair smiling, because he used to run the organic organization in Uganda, so you can talk to him about that afterwards. But it's about networking. It's about everything being related. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. That's to say the gardener. That's to say the person who goes around pruning the vine. Yeah? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. That's to say you've been pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. And I think that's an important understanding. The word of God prunes, it cuts things off, it cleanses things. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I think it's important to realize, though, in this abiding, in the, in the Christian or Judeo-Christian understanding, God always respects our individuality, our individualism. We are still us. You know, it's, it's not like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band where I am the walrus, I am you, and you are me, and we are all together. That's Eastern mysticism. That's where you lose yourself into nothingness. In Christ, you find yourself. You find true identity. God does not denigrate people. He, and a church should never do that. We are bringing people into the fullness of what they are called and gifted and in God's vision meant to be. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. By the way, keep counting the number of times in these passages it uses two words, love and joy, okay? There's a whole lot of loves there. You can go and add them up. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. And this is the verse that we were told to speak on. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command to you, so that you will love one another. The context of this second section is being fruitful in Christ. So Jesus is moving on from legal structures to organic relationships. Father God, the gardener, is busy growing fruit. He's got a vineyard that grows grapes, that makes wine. Jesus Christ, the vine, has connected or grafted us, and we see in Paul where he talks about grafting the, the, the Gentile church in, etc. But this, these people are people who grew grapes. That's what they did for a living. They're grafting us into himself. And we are now part of his living process, of this living process, if we stay connected to Christ. And success is measured in tons of fruit. And that fruit is love and joy, as we see in this passage. It's not about getting what you want. It's getting what God wants for you. He wants you to experience His love and His joy in fullness for all eternity. But we must stay connected. That is grafted into the vine, Jesus Christ, and allow the gardener, God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, to do His work 
on us and in us and through us. So, being fruitful in Christ, this is the context of John 15, verse 16. If you go back to the, the very beginning of, the, of the, the passage, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. We are in the prayer asking the gardener for what we need so that we can be fruitful. What we need to do our stuff. It's like you're in an organization and you send in the requisition, you know? I need four pens and ten notebooks. You know, it's, this is the stuff you need. It's not that you shouldn't ask, but it's within the context of the fullness of life that you're meant to be doing. So we are asking the gardener for what we need to be fruitful, and we're doing that asking in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the vine that connects us, connects us to each other and connects us ultimately through him to God the Father. And we see the fruit of the Spirit mentioned here is love and joy. But then if we go on to Galatians chapter 5, we'll see that the full list is there of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Father God the gardener wants us to produce tons and tons of this fruit. Once upon a time, and it's a long story, I somehow ended up trying to do a management turnaround on a very large farm in northern Uganda. And we measured success in tons of maize, tons of rice, tons of chia, tons of beans. And you measured it in two things, weight and quality. And if you have tons of chia and it doesn't all fall off when the rain comes, then you make a lot of money. <laughs> Um, but, you know, we need lots of love, lots of joy. Um, you know, it's like what the world needs now, the, the sort of by the world, the Coke song. You know, what the world needs is, it needs a lot of love. It needs a lot of joy. It needs a lot of patience. It needs a lot of kindness. It needs a lot of goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And so, you know, if you're farming, you're in the business of producing a lot of stuff, of good quality. That's what makes the numbers stack up at the end of the day. And many examples in the Bible are, you know, a man goes and he gives some money to the guys and comes back and sees what they've done with it. I'm not here to preach capitalism, but I am saying that God expects a return on his investment. He wants to see a lot. He wants to see a lot of this good stuff, okay? I'm now moving on to the third section. And the third section we have to realize, if we go back a few verses, it's in the context of Jesus talking about when the Spirit comes, which ties very nicely in to the chapter at the end of Matthew that was, was shared to us by Pato. Because at the end of Matthew, he's looking forward to the Holy Spirit being given, yeah? Which would enable us to do these things. So it says, when the Spirit of truth comes, and I want you to realize it's the, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Truth is important. There's a lot of half-truths, a lot of mistruths in the word, world, and God is a, a God of truth. 
And it doesn't matter what lies the media or what lies the bureaucracy or anyone else will tell you. Truth is truth. Truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. And God, through His Holy Spirit, brings to us revelation of what is truth. I was listening to a representative of the church in China speaking um, to the U.S. To in, in a conference in the U.S. on political and religious freedom in China right now. And basically, he was saying that right now in China, for every one person, and there's about 1.3 or 1.4 billion people in China, there are two facial recognition cameras. You know when you drive down the Entebbe Road and they flash at you? That's what those things are. But for every one person, there's two of them. And now in the church, to have a church, you have to have a facial recognition camera in the pulpit so they can see everyone who's in there. And if you don't, they shut you down. And if you're a party official and you're recognized there, you're thrown out of the party. If you're working in the government and you're recognized there, you're thrown out of your job. They say that Xi Jinping, they call him now, they joke, he's the, he's the new baby Mao. They say, we have not experienced this level of persecution since the end of the era of Mao Zedong. And you combine facial recognition with machine learning and a, a totalitarian state, and you have a church that is being persecuted. But so much of that totalitarianism runs on lies and perpetuating the lies, perpetuating the myths that their society is perfect, that it's not full of prostitution and corruption and everything else. And so the spirit of truth is about truth. When the spirit of truth comes, and at Pentecost he did come, so Pentecost isn't just about let's all be happy, it's about knowing truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. Even the Holy Spirit is saying, oh, I have to go and ask Jesus and ask God. It's authority structures all the way down. God is a God of order. At the very beginning of creation, it says the Spirit moved over the darkness or over the waters or over the chaos and brought order. The commission of man from the beginning was to build a garden, something that it's ordered, okay? So the very nature of God is one of truth and one of order. And the Spirit will not speak in His own authority, but whatever He, whatever he hears, He will speak. And in this context, He's hearing it from Jesus, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, that is Jesus speaking, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit is bringing us the very living, real-time Word of Jesus in the moment. And that's why the Word of God is active like a two-edged sword. It's not just the book. It's that living Word that the Spirit is bringing from Jesus to us. He's speaking to us. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said that He will take what is mine, and declare it to you. Again, Jesus has been delegated authority from the Father. That is delegated to the Spirit, and through the Spirit is coming to us. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. This is before the crucifixion this is written, and it's warning them, but the world will rejoice. And you have to realize, when you see the world rejoicing, get worried. 
Because quite often the world is rejoicing at bad things happening in, in the Christian realm. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she is sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Now the verse comes. Now the context comes. In that day, after the Spirit comes, you will ask nothing of me. We don't have to go, you know, looking for Jesus physically. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever, you, and I don't want to start getting into praying through the saints and all that, but the point I'm making is what he's saying there, you're praying through the Spirit that's in you. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, in Jesus' name, he will give to you. And, but we have to understand we're asking that in a context. We're asking that his kingdom's coming. God, you know, give us a spanner. You know, this is what I need right now. <laughs> Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. In other words, they just used to talk to Jesus, the disciples. But in the future, we can ask in Jesus' name through the Spirit, ask and you receive that your joy may be full. Not that your bank account will be full, not that a whole lot of other, but that your joy will be full. Okay? So the context here is about being guided by the Spirit of truth. When the Spirit of truth comes, as I said, He will guide you into all the truth, for He'll not speak on His own authority. Again, it's about authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come, okay? He, he will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In that day, you will ask nothing. Truly, truly, I say, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, you receive, and your joy will be full. Okay, so what I'm, I'm just going over those again because you've got to realize that's the context. It's about Jesus looking forward to that day after his death, and his resurrection to the coming of the Spirit of truth who will guide us to pray directly to the Father in the name of Jesus. This is an incredible privilege. This is an incredible opportunity. It's an incredible responsibility. And I'm not into predestination. I'm into free will. We have the free will to choose to pray. And when we pray, if our prayer is aligned with the will of God, we can see real things happen, and we can tip the balance. You, you can, I mean, we see from Abram trying to convince God not to destroy Sodom. I mean, God will listen to people. You know, even if there's a few people left, I would have, let, you know, there's a, there's a dialogue. Prayer is not just a petition list. It's, it's a listening and a speaking and a certain amount, sometimes even of negotiation in that, in that sense, that we are in relationship 
We have authority. And in the same way as someone goes to their boss in a business or to their father in a family business or even their commanding officer if they're in the army, you say, look, this is the situation. You know, I need this. And no father or commanding officer or you know, chief diplomat is not going to listen to the person who comes to them, especially when they view them as a child. We are children of God. So, really the lessons that we learn from these passages are that from the first passage, we've got to think about authority and responsibility. Pray responsibly to the Father with the authority delegated to you by Jesus. You have real authority. It has been given to you. All authority in heaven and earth, etc., was given to Jesus, and through the Spirit, He's delegated to us. But we are operating in that dynamic through the Holy Spirit. The second is the organic bit. We have to stay connected to Jesus Christ, the vine, and through Jesus Christ, the vine, we're all connected together. Um, I managed to get given a vine once upon a time, and I planted it in my garden, and the monkeys love it very much, thank you. You know, I've never actually, it's a long time since I've got any grapes since, since the vervet monkeys decided to invade our part of Laboa. But you've never seen anything funnier than a vervet monkey with a big bunch of grapes trying to get them all into its mouth at once, you know? It's very, you know, and they're quite bitter, so and good luck to them. But the point I'm making is that in a vine, we're all, it's all mixed up. I can't say, oh, this is this branch coming from here, and this is that branch going, you know. When they're all growing together, it's a climbing plant. I mean, we are all interconnected. We're all climbing over each other, touching off each other, whatever. The reality is that, that that is what a vine is. You don't just take a one little bit of the vine and put it way over here, because all, it all has to be supported together. It all protects each other from the wind and from other things. And it all is meant to bear fruit. And the Father, through the Spirit, is going around pruning off the bits that are just shooting off doing their own thing in your life. Not because he's cruel, but because he wants you to have joy and peace and all those other nice things listed in Galatians. Not just for yourself, but because, you know, what the world needs now is all these things, yeah? And the last bit is let the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, direct our prayers. Believe me, in the world we are in and the world we're entering into, Truth is in very short supply. I mean, I remember, I mean, growing up in the 90s, yes, we'd work in our, you know, we'd spin doctors and, you know, we had people working for politicians and, you know, back in the day. But now that has gone to, to levels that we can't imagine. In the American election, every individual will be AI identified and sent the mail shots that specifically suit their particular profile. You know, it's gone to a different level. Where is truth? What is truth? You know, Jesus, you know, Jesus said that he was truth. And Pontius Pilate says, you know, what, what is truth? You know, sometimes when you're in the middle of the, the political machine, there is no truth anymore. And that's where he was. And we've got to realize that 
the stuff that we're being bombarded with. There's very clever people, and they're now building very clever computers to do very clever things, but there's an awful lot being thrown at us. And yeah, in many ways, the world is rejoicing in what they've created. Um, and we need to be careful because truth, even scientific truth, has become very compromised. And it's not that this hasn't happened before. I mean, why did Chernobyl melt down? Because nobody could tell anyone the truth. And nobody could believe what they saw in the gauges, if you go and watch the documentaries, you know? They, when truth goes out the window, when there's no objective, factual truth, and, you know, words mean whatever I want them to mean, and words mean whatever the people in controlling vast corporations want us to believe they mean. We're in problems. So I think it's really important to realize that the Holy Spirit comes to us in truth and directs our prayers, and we are praying truth into the world. Does that make sense? I'm not saying we are the truth. I'm saying we are connected to the truth, to use the divine analogy. And we are truth seekers and truth protectors and truth sharers in this world. And it's a world with a lot of mistruths and half-truths and spin. And that has become perfected. And it doesn't matter whether you're living in the world of surveillance communism or surveillance capitalism, truth is in short supply. And that's something that we cannot compromise on. Jesus, by saying he was the truth, is saying there is a truth. The world wants to live a lie. And what was Satan? He was a liar from the beginning. So, let's just say that if there's no love or joy in your life, and that's all the things surprised me about this Chinese guy. He was so joyful, even though his friends were getting locked up. The latest law in China was that if you receive a donation, that's fraud. And they've been put away for five years. Now, of course, we're not told this because we're meant to think they're all nice people, and I don't know, you know, that they don't engineer viruses or anything else. But anyway, the reality I'm saying is that what is truth? Truth has got very short supply. But for us, if we have those, that love and that joy and all those other happy things that are listed in Galatians, we operate in a different ecosystem connected to a different vine. Yeah? And lastly, always read Scripture in context. You know, when the Bible was written, it wasn't written with the little numbers for the verses. People put that in later because it's easy to find something. It was written as a complete book, a complete passage, a complete section. You know, Romans was written in one big long script to the Romans. That doesn't mean that you can't pick verses out of it, but you've got to realize that that verse is there in a passage, it's there in a book, it's there in a historical context written by a person. And you, you look for the truth, not just for what makes you feel good or for what you can sell today. Now, I feel I've said quite enough 
There's things here I'd like you to, you can come together, you can have coffee, you can ponder them yourselves. Um, but one is, do I pray with authority in Jesus' name for the kingdom of God to come on earth? Is that what's directing my prayers? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah? The next one is, do I need, what do I need to do to stay connected to Jesus, connected to the vine, and as part of that, to all the other bits that are connected to Jesus, to, that will support you, to the church, to his body, and that you will support. And looking at the third passage, is the Holy Spirit directing me on how and what to pray? How do I know he is? And as part of that, you know, what is truth? What is this, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth saying to me? And lastly, you know, to, to quote the Fugees, where is the love? Um, where is the love? Where is the joy? If, I don't, I'm not a happy, clappy person. I don't do that, okay? But if you don't have a sense of joy when you hear about someone becoming a Christian, if you don't have a sense of joy when you see God moving in the world, if you don't have a sense of knowing that you are loved by God, knowing that you're loved in this body of believers, being able to love other people, then you need a bit of rewiring done because you're not a happy person and you're not the person that God wants you to be. So, have some coffee, get a bicky, find some people, and again, going back to earlier on, if someone here has never made that commitment you're, you're a sitting duck. You're a target in this world to be taken down. And the season we're entering into is a very different season. And now is not a time to continue sitting on the fence and thinking, well, I'll make a commitment someday. Because there will not be a better day than today. And please find one of the leadership, um, Moira, myself, Monica, you know, whoever, if you want to talk to someone afterwards. Thank you very much. Bless you.